If you really love Christmas, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to just scream it out. I love Christmas. Yeah. You love, Kurt loves Christmas too. I said no adults, Kurt. I love Christmas, right? And they, these kids, they love Christmas. Now, I don't know, guys. My, one of my favorite things to do on Thanksgiving, and we got to do it this year, is I love to come downstairs. I mean, I'm not taking a shower yet. I'm in my pajamas. Hair's all over the place. I sit down in a blanket, and I'm going to watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And I get that parade can be kind of boring because they have all these shows. They have these you know, old people that are singing, and you're kind of watching and going, ah, that's okay. And then you see like the Bluey float pops up, right? And if you're like me, you're screaming because you're seeing Bluey, and you're stoked. Like, that's awesome, right? And you see all these kind of floats come around, but nothing is as exciting. You get to the end of the parade. Things start to change, right? We began with Tom Turkey coming down. We had the Rockettes kind of opening things up, right? Everybody loves it. I'm not going to do the kick. I will hurt myself. But you have that kind of going along. And then did you ever notice that they're so, they're so brilliant? They're so smart in the parade. Because as it goes on, do, do you feel things shifting from Thanksgiving to Christmas? Do you see it happening in this parade? You start to see things kind of shift from the fall kind of feeling, and then you realize, hey, wait a minute, all of a sudden, it's starting to feel like Christmas. And then you go, <laughs> I know what's about to happen. The big man's about to show up. And you're like me, like, this is it. Like, this is why I watch this thing. I see Santa, and I turn into Buddy Elf, man. I start screaming, and I'm like, I love that guy! Like, I just absolutely lose my mind, because it's Santa Claus, Right? But I have a confession to make. I couldn't wait this year for Santa to come to begin to celebrate Christmas. I couldn't wait for Santa Claus to come down the street and show up at Macy's to begin to celebrate Christmas. I was that person who had all my Christmas decorations out, had the Christmas lights up. Our house was all decorated. We said, it is time. The girls were actually away for Thanksgiving, and I turned on the Christmas lights with full obscenity for my neighbors to see. I didn't care. And I said, I am celebrating Christmas. I am ready. Like, I'm going to start playing the music. I, I feel a little bit like Jack Skellington, where I'm like, I get it's Halloween, but I'm going to go ahead and start stealing a little bit of Christmas, too. So I'm in October, and I'm like already starting to play Christmas songs. It is time. Now, here's the deal. Some of you are with me. Renee is with me. She's excited. She's like, it's Labor Day. That's, that's time for Christmas. Like, that's, that's fine. Like, that's where it can start. I don't know how early we could go. Renee, next year, we're going to test this out. We're going to have a party in the middle of the summer. We're going to have a Christmas party. Who, I, doesn't matter. Now, what's great about this, you see what's happening, though? Do you, do you guys see what's happening? Do you guys see this? So, Renee is all excited about Christmas. She's like, Christmas in July. Justin's like, no, mm-mm. That is not happening. I'm not doing that. Full out Scrooge. For Justin, guys, Justin is the guy, he watches the movies and he's like, Mr. Potter's the good guy. The crooks in Home Alone, he's rooting for them. This is apparently you, man. I'm just calling it out. I, this is my job as a pastor. This is, this, is, this is my job to convict right now, right? Like, I'm seeing this. But you know this person. Now listen, whether you are sitting next to that Scrooge or whether you grew up in their house and you're confessing out of your whole church about growing up with the Scrooge who wanted to take down the Christmas decorations the day after Christmas instead of celebrating the 12 days of Christmas like you're supposed to, you know that person. 
And they're like, I don't even want it. I'm done with it. It's over. But you know what? I want you to know something. If you are that person who, if you hear Feliz Navidad one more time, you are going to throw the radio across the room. If you hear wham and all you think about doing is whamming that radio with a hammer, you are actually more legit Christmas than me and Renee. Because, and kids, I want you to know this because I think this is really important for our kids. At the very first Christmas, I know this is really hard to believe, when Mary placed Jesus in the manger, there was not a Christmas tree in that manger. There weren't decorations up. There, they, can you believe this? There weren't Christmas lights. Like, can you imagine? Like, I think Joseph should have gone along and he should have started putting up Christmas lights, right? Like, that's what should have happened, right? But I want you to know that that wasn't it. The very first Christmas didn't have that sense of joy. It didn't have that sense of anticipation. It didn't have that excitement. It didn't have that festive attitude that we love. In fact, Christmas was scary. Christmas was filled with fear. Christmas was a mere teenage girl learning that she was going to give birth to Jesus. And she has to tell this fiancé of hers, hey, this is what's going on. She has to tell the whole community, the whole family, all these people. Now, that's scary stuff, right? And that is what we find in the story of Christmas. We actually find fear. We find hopelessness. We find uncertainty. We don't find people yet celebrating. There isn't that. There's a different kind of anticipation taking place. So today what I want to do is I want to begin to help us to see that. I want to see that at that first Christmas, there weren't those, there weren't those Christmas presents wrapped and put under a tree. There was faith, and I want to make sure to talk about that. There was faith, but there was fear. But then we see that this beautiful story, and this is why I think we tell the story over and over and over again, because the story, it moves from, from peace, from that fear, it moves from fear to peace. That story moves from hopelessness to hope, and the story moves from darkness to light. And that's the really cool metaphor about all of it. So as our kids today, as you guys are here, as you go driving around, as you go see Christmas lights, I think today we're probably going to do a little bit of that. As you see those lights, I want you to be reminded that the story was actually scary. It was dark. It was uncertain. And then all of a sudden it moves to this idea where we celebrate all of these lights. And so we kind of celebrate that together as we see this darkness turn to light. Now, as a part of that, as a part of celebrating that story, we come to this passage, and I want to read this today, and what's really cool is our kids, if you go home and you watch their kids' videos, they're actually reading this passage too. They're learning this as well, so we are opening up the conversation that you can have with your kids if you have kids in that kindergarten through fifth grade age, all the way up through sixth grade, and that's this passage. We find it in Isaiah 9. And as part of this story, this is something that we often read, and it says this. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. 
and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And these are familiar words that we read at Christmas. Sometimes we decorate our homes with some of these words. We say things like, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And we begin to think about Christmas. But these words were actually written about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. So the first thing that I want to do is encourage us to be careful to think about context. If you've been around Southeast very long, that's one of the things that we do. We say the first thing that we want to do is we want to think about the context of a passage. Especially if something is familiar to us, one of the things that we want to do is we want to take that passage, we want to turn it around a little bit. We want to make sure that we're not missing the context that it sits in because we don't want to take it out of context. We don't want to misunderstand what's happening here. So we have to be really careful with the words that we find here. See that they're written in a specific context. Now, that doesn't mean that later on we don't look back at this passage and see whispers of the promised Messiah and see whispers of Jesus, but we owe it to look at the context because this is what's cool. The context always provides a clearer meaning for what we're looking at. So the context of the passage is this, hopelessness. The context is absolute hopelessness. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the people of Israel were being threatened by invasion by the kingdom of Assyria. Now, this is a story that's been told over and over again in their history, a story of invasion, defeat, and conquest by another empire. It happens over and over and over again, invasion, defeat, and conquest. And once again... The people of Israel, things looked hopeless. But here's what I want us to see, and this is what's really cool. Amid all of that hopelessness that they had came a promise that God was at work. God hadn't abandoned them. God hadn't walked away. God hadn't vacated the premises. God was present amid their circumstances. Now, this is, this is perfect for us to look at today because we have actually spent the past several weeks talking about the reality of God working for good amid our circumstances. Now, in that series that we just ended just a couple weeks ago, we looked at these words from the book of Psalms. Psalm 136, it says this, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Hey, let's all say that out loud today. Let's look at the screen and say that out loud. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Now, if you didn't watch or listen to the last series that we did, I really do encourage you to go back and listen. And not just because I taught the series and I want you to hear it, but because as we did that series, one of the coolest things that happens, I love going into a series like that and saying, God, what, what can I learn here? What, 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 what are you trying to teach me about these words? And we found this incredible promise taking place here. 
we found this promise uh, that, that I just think is so incredible that, that we find God's goodness here. As it talks about his goodness as a perpetual motion of goodness that creates more love, that creates more goodness. A perpetual motion of goodness that outweighs anything that we face in our lives. And this reminds us that we should give thanks to God, not just for our blessings, because he is with us in all things. And so this was such an such a, 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 a important thing, I think, for us to recognize. Give thanks to the Lord. And I said, always ask good questions. Well, why should I give thanks? And sometimes I think we have to ask it like that. When you read scripture and it's like, do this, go, why should I do that? And I know I'm teaching our kids something, and you're going, I don't know, man. I don't want them saying that to me. Like, my kid's going to come up to me like, why should I do that, Daddy? Don't do that to me. I'm just telling you, when you read Scripture, one of the cool things you can do is, it says, give thanks. Well, why should I give thanks? And then it gives us an answer. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. What does good mean? It means that he creates perpetual good, this motion of goodness that just creates more goodness and more life. And then what's really cool, guys, here's a little hint. The way of Jesus leans all the way into that. And we say, I reflect on the goodness of God. I see him bringing goodness and life, grace and mercy and justice and all of these things, the perpetual motion of goodness into this world. And then he says, and I want you to go and do the same. I want you to live out like that. Be the kind of person who loves in such a way that it brings more Love. Could we use a little bit of that? How many of us have been around in this world today, in this, this context that we find ourselves in in our society, where it doesn't seem like a whole lot of people are trying to promote more love? What would it look like to say, I want to be the kind of person who creates more love and more grace and more mercy? And this is what the author is saying. Give thanks to the Lord, for he's good. Man, if you get connected with God, you're going to find more grace and more mercy and more love than you know what to do with, and you can't but help but let it explode out of your life into this world. So give thanks. It says his love endures forever. No matter what you face in this world, it doesn't matter what it is, it will never outweigh his love. That's awesome. Now that truth... All of that is at the essence that we find in Isaiah 9 because it's a truth that shows up over and over again in the scriptures. God was at work with his goodness and because of his love amid any circumstance that you face. Even as these people face the threat of an attack of Assyria into the north, an idea that's so hard for us to even comprehend, right? We don't typically wake up in the day and face the idea that Canada might just invade. That would be really weird. <laughs> Do you see that, though? Can you feel that sense? There's this sense of worry and fear. And we see that all around our world. And we know people who are experiencing that. It's easy for us to get isolated from it and not experience that. But we see that promise here. Hey, e even amid these circumstances, even the threat of the attack of Assyria, God is at work. Now, here's what's really cool. Let's go back a second. 
Because this chapter opens with the word, and it gets translated this. It gets translated, but, nevertheless, or nonetheless. Now, a lot of us don't use nevertheless or nonetheless. I think we should start using some of these words more often, right? We're used to the word but, and but is a great word. And it's a, familiar, it's a word that we should be familiar with because when it shows up in the Bible, you're supposed to stop and go, why is that there? If it says, but this, okay, well, what happened that makes me go, but then this happened? And that's what you're supposed to see here. There's this, this stop sign that shows up, that pops up, and it's like this huge light. It's like the biggest Christmas display you could think of. And it's like, but. Now, could you imagine in my house? Now, I know a couple kids are going to laugh about this. Could you imagine in my house on my roof it said, but? Not like that. But if I just had, but. People are like, why do you have butt on your roof? What? Why is butt on your roof? What's that about? Because that's the essence of the story. And they're like, butt is the essence of the story? What is happening right now? Okay, maybe I should write nonetheless. Then my neighbors would be like, that takes too many lights. How are you going to make that up there, right? Somebody's going to hate on it. But this is the essence of here. It shows up over and over again. Listen to this, listen, listen. Fear, ready? Fear, but peace. Hopelessness, but hope. Darkness, but light. And that's what's happening here. That's what we find here. Listen to this. The people walking in darkness... The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This passage begins in verse 1 and then comes here into verse 2. With this look, look, everything seems bad. Everything seems like it's going wrong. Everything seems absolutely hopeless. But, but wait, but wait. And it says, but, but the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, the light has dawned. Now, now here's this gets cool. Let's pause for a second because I want to talk about the geography of Israel. I know you didn't know that you were coming into a geography lesson, but listen, this is super cool. To the west of Israel was the Mediterranean Sea. To the east were the mountains. Now, I know that typically most of us here gathered in this space today aren't generals. We don't think about how you would attack. But most of us could look at a map, and if we were playing risk, I would go, I'm probably not going to attack from the sea. I'm probably not going to try to go over the mountains. I'm going to go the easiest route, which is to come from the north. And that's where the kingdom of Assyria is thinking about and beginning to attack and beginning to evade is from the north. And that place that we call in the north, that northern area, was a place called Galilee. And it was a place that the author here is talking about as a place of darkness as a result of this fear, this invasion, this hopelessness, these people in darkness... Now, after the Assyrian conquest, because it did happen, after the Assyrian conquest, many of the people in this region of Galilee were carried off into exile. 
And hundreds of years later, then, the words of Isaiah, they don't seem to be fulfilled. These people had all of this hopelessness, then he's like, well, listen, listen, no, 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 all these people walking in darkness, there's a great light coming. And then, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, like, be excited, because for us, a child is born, a son is given. Hundreds of years later, people are looking and going, um, we're still waiting. It doesn't seem like that lived out the way that you promised it was supposed to in the context that you were talking about there. But then into this region of Galilee, something took place. During a time of mass migration, a family from Bethlehem of Judea moved into Galilee. To that family was born a man named Joseph. Joseph was eventually engaged to be married to a woman named Mary. And to them was born a baby named Jesus. And that's where and when the familiar story of Christmas shows up. We read these words a few weeks ago from the opening of the book of John. It says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was God, or was, word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Later, he recorded as Jesus described himself, as the light shining in the darkness. Listen to this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I and the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So people began to look back at the words of Scripture. This incredible moment happens. Jesus is born. He, he begins to teach. He begins to live. He begins to tell these people how to live this life of, of, of life that they can't even begin to even possibly imagine. This idea of the goodness of God living in and through all of us. And as people look back at Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, they begin to read passages like this. Like Isaiah 9, they turn to these passages. They see fulfillment happening in his words, written to this ancient context, and they begin to come alive with all this new meaning. Because in Jesus, they saw how fear had become peace. They saw in Jesus how hopelessness had become hope. They saw in Jesus how darkness had become light. And all of a sudden, these words in Isaiah 9, they see God as people experience the reality of darkness but hope, and they see that in the light, in the life of Jesus. God was at mid their circumstances. Hope was at work. God was at work. Hope had come. Darkness had become light. And all of a sudden they look back and they see these words. And we look back at these words and now we see the tension in these words. They don't just stand as words anymore that we hang up on the wall. They're not just words anymore that maybe I could put in lights on my roof instead of the word but, right? Maybe these are the words that as I look at words like Prince of Peace and, and as, as I read these words like Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, right? Now I see the context of it. Now I see the hopelessness that the people experience. And now all of a sudden this comes alive in a brand new way. And all of a sudden there's something here for us. 
We see fear and hopelessness and darkness. But guys, what do we see? We see peace. We see hope. We see light. And this is what we find in the story of Christmas. This is what we find at Advent. Now listen, there's a bunch of adults here who are ready to get through Christmas. They're ready to get it over. They're ready to get to the new year. Guys, I want to tell you kids that your parents, they're like, I just need 2023 because 2022 needs to be over. Just like we felt about 2021, just like we felt about 2020. But let's be honest, we did the same thing about 2019 and 2018. We were all these Scrooges who looked back and said, man, 2019 has got to be a whole lot better. I remember standing New Year's Eve looking at Joe going, man, 2020 is going to be so great. It's going to be so much better than 2019. I ran out of shoes from eating them after that one. But listen, your, your parents are going to be in a hurry. They just want to get past the story. And I want you to slow them down. And I want you to be mommy and daddy. Do you see those Christmas lights? That reminds me that hopeless became hope. Mommy, daddy, that, that reminds me that darkness becomes light. Like, let's slow down. Let's slow down at Christmas. Let's, let's, let's lean into the story a little bit. And let's start here. Can we do that? Can we slow down and feel the tension of the story? And can we, can we, not, can we, not, can we not hurry up and put a Christmas tree in the manger yet? Can we, just, can we stop for a minute? Can we, no. Can we feel the tension of the story? And can we be reminded of that, guys? Fear turns to peace. Hopelessness turns to hope. And darkness turns to light. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God, we are so thankful for the final words of that passage that remind us that this is your story that you are telling. This is your love story that you are telling to us through the birth of Jesus. That your love, we reflected on so much over the past few weeks, your love is so powerful and so strong, so compelling. that it comes to this moment that we find in the birth of Jesus. God, help us in this season to slow down, to just experience the wonder of the Christmas story and see that no matter what we're experiencing, if we're experiencing fear, God, help us to see peace this year. God, if we're sensing hopelessness about anything in our lives, may we find hope. God, may we see the darkness of what's ahead and uncertainty that we have in our lives. Help us to see light. Help us to trust.
and help us to be in awe of this season at the wonder of the birth of Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.